Jesus made some statements that I don't fully agree with all the time. I know it's not a good thing for a pastor to say, but just being honest, and I'm sure there's some statements that Jesus has made that you struggle to agree with. And I'm guessing that the two statements that I'm gonna bring up, you maybe have struggled agreeing with Jesus in these two as well. Jesus once said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus was saying this to one of his disciples named Thomas who had, had seen Jesus' crucifixion. He had seen him die. And then he'd heard reports from some others that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But he said, I, I, I don't believe it. And Jesus had just shown up in physical form and say, Thomas, touch me. See that I am truly alive. And everyone was thinking, man, Thomas is a blessed guy. He got to see Jesus after the resurrection. And Jesus said, I, I, I. Blessed, fortunate are those who have not seen and yet believed. And I disagree with Jesus. I think the people who got to see Jesus physically after his crucifixion and death, they're the fortunate ones. They're the blessed ones. And there's been times in my life where I wish, Jesus, I'm struggling with faith. I'm struggling to believe. Would you just show up physically in my life? Because I think if you did, I'd feel like I was blessed. But Jesus disagrees with me. Another statement Jesus made, and this one's a hard one for me to agree with Jesus as well. He said, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. And when he says for your good, he, mean, he means it's for your benefit. It's better for you that I leave. And again, I struggle to agree with Jesus on this because I don't know about you, but there's been moments in my life, moments, as I said, of, of struggling with faith where I wish Jesus would show up, but there's been moments where I felt completely inadequate and insufficient. And I'm like, Jesus, if you would just show up in person right now, I feel like that would be better for me. And there's been moments in my life where, where I, I was struggling with some pain and Jesus, if you just showed up in physical form with me, that would be a comfort to me. I think that would be better for me. And there's been times when I wish, Jesus, would you just show up and speak wisdom to me? I wanna have a face-to-face. -face. I think that would be better for me. And Jesus says, ah, uh -uh, I disagree with you. And unfortunately for me, and if you agree with me and you struggle to believe this, unfortunately for us, Jesus is the only one in human history who predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off, which means he's right and I'm wrong. And not only that, he is the only one who's been ascended to the right hand of God. And as we learned last week, every name that can be invoked, every power, every authority is not only inferior to him, every power and authority is submissive to him, which means he's right and I'm not. So why did Jesus say this? Why did he say it's better for me to go? Or it's better for you if I go. It's to your advantage if I leave you. Well, it actually has to do with what we're celebrating today as the church. I don't know if you knew, but today is Pentecost. And Pentecost is just a really big word, which means the coming of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate today the presence of God's Spirit coming onto the earth and into the lives of his people. And uh, 
Uh, Pentecost happened 50 days. I don't know if you knew, 50 days ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. This is 50 days later. It happened 10 days after the ascension of Jesus. And if you remember last week from Acts chapter one, Jesus said, I'm gonna be leaving you, but wait Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. I promise he's gonna come. And the church waited for 10 days and then Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit came and it was this unbelievable epic event in history that changed so, so much. Here's how the event happened. We read about it in Acts chapter two where the author Luke writes, when the day of Pentecost came, they, that's the disciples, the 12, uh, as well as a number of others, about 120, uh, then the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sit sitting. And this was this, this strange and wonderful and terrifying event, right? I mean, there's just this blowing violent wind that's filling the entire house. Well, the strangeness continues. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Now it says it seemed to be, so probably it wasn't literal fire or you know, literal tongues of fire on, on their heads, but it was this, this picture, they're trying to describe what was happening and the strangeness just gets even stranger. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This was unbelievable, it was so strange. Not only did the Holy Spirit fill the entire room, it filled every one of them and they were gifted. The Spirit of God came upon them and gifted them to be able to speak in other tongues, in other languages, so other people could hear the good news of Jesus. Now, this is one of the things the Holy Spirit does, is he gifts us, but there is a purpose. There is a purpose for the gifting of the Holy Spirit and how he gifts us. And, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but he gave them that gift. Well, this was so strange that some of the people were like, this is believe, uh, unbelievable and yet we believe it. And others of them, they couldn't make sense of this. And we're told that some of them, however, made fun of them and said, they've just had a little too much wine to drink. That's why they're acting this way, right? This was just so strange. It's like, they must be drunk. And here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. For a lot of us, the Holy Spirit, he's mysterious. He does some strange things. Sometimes we're a little uncomfortable with the idea of the Holy Spirit. Uh, oftentimes, I don't know what you think of when you hear the Holy Spirit or you hear the word Holy Spirit, but uh, some translations call them the Holy Ghost, which is just frightening, right? We're scared of ghosts. They're unknown, they're unpredictable. And if, if the Holy Spirit is like a ghost, it's, it's kind of like we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. And for many of us, we're comfortable. We're comfortable with God the Father, right? He's our he heavenly Father who loves us. We're comfortable with Jesus, God's Son, who came in physical form and is the Savior of our sin with his death on the cross. We're okay with the first two people in the, in, in the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit, we're, we're not sure, what do we do with, with him? How do we relate to him? And, and there's this unknown mysteriousness that comes along with the Holy Spirit. It's no wonder when Francis Chan wrote a book on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he titled the book, The Forgotten God. Because for many of us, like, well, that's just strange. It's like, just kind of weird. We're just gonna kind of, we're just not gonna even engage in that. Because we don't know what to do 
with the Holy Spirit. And so he wrote a book called The Forgotten God, all about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus came along and he said, actually, it's for this purpose. It's for this purpose that I need to leave. And he talks about the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Why was it better for him to leave? Why is it better for us that he left? And it had to do with the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 16 and Jesus begins to talk. This is the night that he would be betrayed to his crucifixion. And he talks about what the Holy Spirit would all do. He says this, but now I am going to him, the father who sent me, yet none of you ask, where are you going? Jesus is like, I'm leaving. And none of you are like, where are you going, right? Because they're, they're, you know, they're just, well, he tells us, the reason is you are filled with grief because I have said these things. The disciples took the perspective that you and I often take. Jesus, it can't be better for us that you leave, right? I want you here. We just started to get used to you being here. You can't leave. There's no way it can be better for us that you go. <laughs> so they're just filled with grief. And then Jesus drops his bomb. He says, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good, your advantage is better for you that I am going away. And I think he says, very truly, I tell you, not because he'd been lying to them previously, but simply because he's like, I'm gonna say something that you're gonna have a hard time believing. So I'm just gonna tell you, this is very true. Okay, very true. It's better, it's for your good. Okay, so why? How could it be better for us, Jesus, that you go? And then he says, I'm glad you asked. Here's why. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, then I will send him to you. Unless I go away, the advocate, when he says advocate, this is another name for the Holy Spirit. In fact, the word advocate, literally from kind of the Greek to the English, it means someone who has been summoned to the aid of someone. It is a person who's been summoned to the aid of others. And Jesus says, unless I go away, I can't summon the one who's gonna come and be your helper, who's gonna come to your aid. And Jesus does not tell us why he and the Holy Spirit cannot both be on the earth at the same time, right? He's like, for some reason I have to go. And when I go, I'm gonna send him to you. Jesus doesn't tell us why they can't, both can't be on the earth. But as we read the whole of scripture, we begin to understand why this is true. Why Jesus and the Holy Spirit would not be on the earth at the same time. And the reason has to do with eschatology. And eschatology is a really big word that simply means it's the study of the end the end of things. And what happened is when Jesus came on the earth and he ascended to heaven, when he ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, it started a new age called the age of the church. And it inaugurated not only the age of the church, it inaugurated the last days. And oftentimes we hear those words, the last days, we're living in the last days. And it's like, that just sounds scary. Like, is there some sort of, what, what's the end gonna be like? But it was not meant to be scary. When Jesus inaugurated the age of the church or the last days, it simply means this, that there is two epic events that God is gonna accomplish. One of them he did, and it's when Jesus went to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit. The next one to come, the next epic event that God's gonna do in the world is Jesus's return, which means from the time Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came, the next thing is the, is the 
is the end. That's why we live in the last days. We've been living in the last days for over 2,000 years. There's a lot of last days, it turns out. There's just a lot of them, right? So Jesus says, unless I go away, the Holy Spirit can't come because when I go, I'm gonna inaugurate a new age called the age of the church and a new time, which is the last days. And it's gonna be, uh, uh, the last days will be characterized by the Holy Spirit going out. So what is it that the Holy Spirit's gonna do in this age of the church? What is it that he's gonna do? Actually, Jesus tells us next, and it has to do with the church. Here's what he says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now this is Ezekiel. This is written some 600 years before Jesus ever came. And this idea of the Holy Spirit coming, this idea of the age of the church, this idea that God was gonna do something new was no surprise because Ezekiel talked about it. And he goes on and he says, and I will put my spirit, the Holy Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, long before the spirit ever came, long before the age of the church, the prophets had already spoken about this day coming. See, for most of Israel's history, they had tried to, to follow the law externally, right? We just gotta follow the law. We have our 613 commands. We're just gonna follow every law and try and earn God's love through the law. And that could not be done. And so the prophets began to write about this day that would come when God would write his law on their hearts through his spirit and the Holy Spirit would come. And rather than us being changed from the outside in, from external to internal, God would change us from the inside out, from internal to external. We would give us a brand new spirit. In fact, Jesus said the same thing in John chapter seven. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as scripture has said, it was already spoken about, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And he was referring to the spirit. That's what John says. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up till that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The spirit did not come in that way until Jesus left. And when he left, he inaugurated the age of the church and the last days. So what is the age of the church? Well, when Jesus left, when Jesus came the first time, he, not, he, he brought about the, the age of salvation and grace. And, and, and he provided a way for us to not only know the Father, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When Jesus came, he did not only come to show us who the Father is, he came to pave the way to the Father through his death on the cross to pay for our sin and his resurrection to conquer the power of our sin. But then Jesus said, my work is done. But when he said, my work is done, it did not mean that the work was done. There was still a lot of work to do. And that's why Jesus said, my work is done. Salvation has been made for humanity, but now I'm leaving and I'm gonna inaugurate the age of the church, which is the Holy Spirit coming to live in his people. And they are gonna spread the message of what I have just accomplished, salvation for mankind. Which is why Jesus, when, before he ascended, he said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes on you, you will be my witnesses 
to the whole world. In Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. My work is done, but the work is not done. And the church would be born and the church would be responsible by the power of the spirit to spread the message of Jesus and salvation to the world. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus says next. When you, when you wonder, what is the Spirit doing in the world today? When if the Holy Spirit has come, what is he doing? He's doing exactly that. Here's how Jesus says it. When he, back to John 16, when he, the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world. Another way to say this is he will convict the world or he will, he will show the world that they're wrong about three things. This is his primary work in the world. Jesus says, here's his primary work. He will show the world they're wrong regarding sin, the world's wrong regarding righteousness, and the world's wrong regarding judgment. Okay, how? Well, expand on that. And Jesus is like, I will. Regarding sin, the Holy Spirit will convince the world they're wrong regarding sin because people do not believe in me. And here's what you'll notice about these three. They all have to do with the person of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. And the first thing he says he's gonna do is he's gonna show them that they're wrong regarding sin, specifically one sin. It's the only for unforgivable sin. And here's the unforgivable sin, not believing that Jesus is the savior. See, there is only one way for our sins to be forgiven. It is not by working hard enough. It's not by being good enough. It's simply one thing and it's us putting our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And here's the deal. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, you stand on the other side of forgiveness. You stand unforgiven. Every sin, every sin, will be forgiven, but there is one sin that will not be forgiven. It puts us on the other side of forgiveness. It is when we refuse to receive Jesus as our savior from sin. In fact, Jesus said this in Mark chapter three, I think verse 28, 29. He said, the unforgivable sin, the way he describes it is blaspheme against the Holy Spirit blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, why would blaspheming or disregarding the Holy Spirit be the unforgivable sin? Here's why. What is the Holy Spirit doing in the world today? He's showing us that we're wrong about Jesus. And if we're not willing, when he starts to work in us and saying, maybe I've been thinking wrong about Jesus. Maybe he indeed is the savior of the world. If we take that convicting work that he does in us and say, I want nothing to do, we have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, which means we have disregarded his message to us, which is salvation is through Christ and through Christ alone. And the moment we disregard that message, we are on the other side of forgiveness. So, so the Holy Spirit, this is what he's doing. He's all about Jesus. And he's convicting, and he's showing us that maybe we had it wrong regarding Jesus and we need to believe in him. The second thing, the Holy Spirit is doing as he convicts or convinces the world they're wrong is regarding righteousness. And then Jesus says, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Which we're like, uh, Jesus, what does you going to the Father have to do with righteousness? <laughs> like connect the dots. And Jesus is like, everything, everything. See, no one, nobody, can enter the presence of God with sin. 
You cannot be in the presence of God and have sin. And there is only one person who has entered the presence of God completely sinless. And his name, and we celebrated him last week when he ascended and went where? To the right hand of God. And the moment Jesus was ascended to the right hand of God, it was God's stamp of approval saying, Jesus indeed is perfect. He is the Messiah. He is the sinless one. He is the one who can come into my presence. And when Jesus says, that the Holy Spirit convicts the world regarding righteousness because I'm at the Father, what he's saying is this, as humanity, we have this crazy idea that if we just go to church enough, if we just follow enough rules, if we just give enough money, if we just read our Bibles enough and pray enough, eventually we can enough our way into the presence of God. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, there is no way, no other name that you can get into the presence of God other than me because I am the righteous one. You can not gain righteousness on your own. You can only gain it by placing your faith in the one who is righteous and gaining his righteousness. In fact, this is what all the baptismal candidates were doing today. They were declaring publicly, it is not my identity, it is not my work that has saved me, but I take on the identity of Christ through faith in him and I receive his righteousness because he's at the right hand of the Father and he is right. And that means through faith, I gain his rightness. So the Holy Spirit convicts us regarding sin, who Jesus is, regarding righteousness, who Jesus is. And thirdly, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I told you earlier that we live in the, in the last days, the age of the church, between two epic events, the ascension of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit. And when Jesus returns, which means the next epic event that God is gonna do is the return of Christ. And when Christ returns, it's judgment. When Christ returns, it's judgment. And this was referring to Jesus as well. When Jesus went to the right hand of the Father, it declared, it put in place his return. And that means the way of this world, the prince of this world is already condemned. And apart from Jesus, we too stand condemned. So I wanna ask you today, if the next epic thing If we're living in the last days and the next epic thing that God's gonna do is the return of Jesus, are you ready? As the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart and you have this sense, I don't know if if I'm right before God. Maybe I've had some wrong thoughts about Jesus and you've wrestled this. Have you heeded, submitted yourself to the Holy Spirit working in you about Jesus? And maybe you've tried to earn your way to, to your heavenly father by doing enough good things. And you always wonder, and Eli brought this out in his testimony. You always wonder, when's enough? And the Holy Spirit is working in you saying, you can't get to enough apart from faith in the only righteous one, Jesus. Have you accepted Jesus? Are you looking forward to judgment because you know your sin has already been forgiven? Or is it something you're afraid of? Are you ready? And will you heed the spirit? If you feel that, 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 that feeling inside of you that's like, I don't know if things are right. I think something else needs to happen. That is not just a strange feeling. You don't need to see the doctor. 
that is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. It's called conviction. And this is your opportunity to respond to what God is doing in you by convincing you of who Jesus is. Well, Jesus continues. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. I mean, you wanna talk about the Holy Spirit? There is so much, Jesus is like, I could keep going on and on, but you can't even take it all right now. So let me just mention one thing that this all revolves around. If there is one thing the Holy Spirit is doing in the world, here is the one thing he's doing. And you already had a hint because all three of the things the Holy Spirit did had to do with Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. But when he, the spirit of truth, speaking of the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And guess who declared himself as the truth? Two chapters earlier, Jesus. He will guide you into all truth, the person of Jesus. And he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you of what is yet to come. So what is the thing that the Holy Spirit is hearing? And the only thing he's hearing, Jesus is like, here it is. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. See, Jesus or the Holy Spirit is not about tooting his own horn. The Holy Spirit is not about getting uh, people to to look at him, to, to think about him. In fact, I think Francis Chan, as he wrote that book, The Unforgotten God, in some ways I wonder if, the Holy Spirit's like, that's my goal. Because every time Jesus is honored, every time Jesus is glorified, every time Jesus gets attention, that's what I'm all about. I'm here to bring glory to Jesus and everything I hear that I speak to others is what Jesus has been made known to me and it's for his glory. The Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. You know, it's interesting regarding the Holy Spirit, As far as I can see in the study of scripture, at no point do the apostles or prophets or the disciples, as far as I can see at no point do they pray directly to the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus instructed his followers to pray to our heavenly father. We know the apostles from time to time pray to Jesus and they ask Jesus for things. But as far as I can see at no point Do the disciples or the apostles pray to the Holy Spirit? Now that doesn't mean that it's wrong. We're not told that it's wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit, but in some ways it's like the Holy Spirit wants to be in the background. And every time Jesus gets credit and every time Jesus's name is honored and every time Jesus gets all the glory, I have this picture that the Holy Spirit and the Father God are high-fiving and saying, that's the goal. Jesus gets all the credit and everything the Holy Spirit does is about pointing people to Jesus. He goes on and says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. God has given it all to me. And now that is why I said that the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. God has given all that was his to Jesus and put it under his feet. And Jesus has given what is his to the Holy Spirit to bring glory and honor and attention to Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit does one thing. He points people to Christ. That's what he's doing, his main job in the world. The Holy Spirit points people to Christ by working in us, his people, by working through us, his people, and by working for us, his people. This is the age of the church, and God's Spirit is 
manifest. God, God's presence is made known in the world, particularly through you and me, through the church. And that's where the Holy Spirit is working, pointing people to Christ. How does he do it? By working in us? Well, as Ezekiel said, we can't, we can't take on righteousness from the exterior in, but the Holy Spirit works from inside of us out and he begins to change us. And as we follow Jesus and his spirit lives in us, he works in us to form us and clean us and make us into the image of Jesus. He also works in us by gifting us. And I told you this earlier, that the Holy Spirit gifts us and then the day of Pentecost, he gifted people. Do you know what the reason the Holy Spirit gifts us for? The Holy Spirit never gifts his people so that we can get attention. In fact, he doesn't even gift his people so that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gets the attention. Do you know why he gifts us? So that Jesus gets all the attention and all the glory and all the honor. In fact, the very first time he gifted the, the, the people and some people said they're drunk and Peter stood up in that moment after receiving the gift of tongues and he preached a message and guess who the message was about? It wasn't about the amazing, crazy thing that the Holy Spirit was doing and giving them the ability to speak tongues. Uh-uh, he preached a message about Jesus in every native language so that they heard the message of salvation and 3,000 people responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in them and they gave their lives to Jesus and were baptized. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And when he gifts us, it's never for our glory or our attention. It's to point people to Christ. That's why he works in us. But he also works through us. I said earlier, where does God's presence live in the world today? He lives in us. God's presence in the world today is most particular, is most specific in his people and if Jesus, or if the Holy Spirit is pointing to Jesus through us, that is what we have been called to do is not reflect our own character, but reflect the character of Christ who is in us. That's what the Spirit wants to do. This is why Jesus said, go and make disciples. It was a new command. They'd never been made, given that command before. It's why he said, go into all the world and be my witnesses. This is the age of the church and the Spirit is going out through his people convicting the world that they're wrong about Jesus, about righteousness, and about judgment. And thirdly, he's working for us. You know, I said earlier that oftentimes I think, man, I think it would be better to have Jesus here in person than to have the Holy Spirit. But here's why it's better that the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus beside you physically, he can tell you what to do and he could tell you what not to do. He could tell you what to say and what not to say but the Holy Spirit inside of you can give you the power to live into what Jesus has called you to say and to do. And that changes everything. The Holy Spirit points us and works to point people to Jesus. So I wanna invite you today. The Holy Spirit is not someone we should be afraid of. There is mystery. But the Holy Spirit is all about bringing attention and glory and honor to Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. And that, my friends, is not something that we should be afraid of. Rather, we should invite the Spirit to lead us, as the Apostle Paul said in Galatians, to step in step with the Spirit and listen to his voice and live under his power 
working in us and through us and for us. As kind of an application, I wanna invite you to do one thing over this next week. In the 17th century, uh, a monk named Brother Lawrence coined this phrase that has always stuck with me. He talked about practicing the presence of God. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't always, I'm not always aware of God's presence. I get into my daily routines and my physical life and, and I forget God's spirit is actually right here. The presence of God is right here. And I think this was Brother Lawrence's way of saying, we, we need to increase our antenna, antenna, antenna length. We need to, to be more aware of God's presence all around us and within us. And so I wanna invite you this week to practice God's presence to, to do what maybe doesn't come naturally and say, I wanna take some time to, to, to listen, to be silent, to hear what God's spirit is speaking in me because what he's speaking has been given to him by Jesus and it's probably important. And then to step into step with the spirit. And I don't know what that looks like for you as you go about swinging your hammer at work or, or teaching or doing retail. Maybe you're driving to work or, or at home. But to take those moments in the day and maybe it means, you know, stopping the podcast or, or turning off the noise and saying, Father, I, I, I'm listening. I want to practice your presence. You're here with me. What are you impressing on my heart? And how is it pointing me to Christ and pointing others to Christ through me and working for me? Would you practice the presence of God this week? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for what you've done in the world. That Jesus, it indeed, it indeed was better. It is better for us that you went to the right hand of the Father and you have sent your spirit to live in us, to change us from the inside out, to convict us about who Jesus is and then to live through us pointing others, the world, our world, our sphere of influence around us to Christ. So Father, I pray for anyone here who are, or anyone listening online who has who's felt your convicting, your, your prompting in their heart, that right now they would heed, that they would submit themselves to the message that you are giving them regarding Jesus, and that they would humble themselves and place their faith in the one, the only one who can save. And for Father, for those of us who uh, have been following you and put our faith in you. May we be those who are found to be walking in step with your spirit. That we'd be those who, who practice, take the time and the diligence to practice your presence in our lives, to listen to your voice, to allow you to change us and allow you to live through us as a testimony to others about who you are. So, Father, may this all be for the praise and honor and the glory of Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.